When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's one of the best months of the year. Fall is here. Happy October to you and welcome back to Avery After Dark. Autumn is always so beautiful. The weather is just right. There are so many fun activities. Cuddling up watching scary movies at night. Checking out all the fun Halloween decorations in your neighborhoods. Carving pumpkins. And best of all... Halloween time is filled with spooky stories of all kinds. In today's episode, I have two very chilling hauntings coming your way, just for you. Our first story is the case of Apartment 14 in Chico, California, a real haunting intertwined with an unsolved disappearance from the 1970s. And secondly, we have the story of the haunted Limp Mansion in St. Louis, Missouri, which always charts the top 10 list of most haunted places in America. So we're going from the West Coast to the good old Midwest for this episode. I hope you're ready. Before we get into the spooks, if you enjoy this podcast, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much in growing the show, so thank you. And make sure to subscribe to the Avery After Dark YouTube so you can watch all the new episodes I post on there. All right, it's time. Let's get into today's first story. What do you dream about? Most people dream about their life experiences, worries, and fragments from their day. And most dreams incorporate sights, sounds, and emotions. Dreams can even transmit sensations of pleasure or pain. But on average, most people dream for about two hours every night. Sometimes a dream follows a storyline, and other times it seems a bit more random. Oftentimes, they can reflect our deepest desires. Our dreams can be romantic, or even silly, entertaining, and fun. Dreams can also mirror our fears. They can be disturbing, bizarre, or even scary. And on occasion, dreams can be used to send a message. After she moved into a new apartment with her daughter in Chico, California, Jodie Foster began experiencing a series of haunting events, and her dreams became much stranger, much darker. Little did she know, these dreams were giving her insight into a decades-old case of a former tenant— a woman who lived there and went missing in the 1970s. Her ghost was seemingly communicating through the haunting and through her dreams, giving her clue after clue. In January 2000, 33-year-old Jodie Foster and her three-year-old daughter Hannah had just moved to Chico, California. One day, she was out looking for a place to live and came across a complex called Walnut Gardens Apartments. The complex seemed nice enough, Jody was a single mom and just needed a safe place for her daughter to live and grow up. As she was walking around, Jody saw a for rent sign in one of the units, apartment 14. She met with the property manager, got a tour, and after signing some papers, the place was hers. Jody and her daughter packed up their car, and on January 31st, 2000, Jody and her daughter moved into the apartment. 
Jody loved the town of Chico. She said it was really charming and felt really homey. And she was really excited to get this fresh start there with her daughter. Moving into a new place is always a big thing. It's stressful, but also really fun to check out your new digs, decorate the place and make it feel like home. But Jody said she didn't feel peaceful when she moved into the apartment. She said it felt dark. She described it as a sense of impending doom in the apartment. She also said the apartment smelled strange. Their first few weeks they lived there, things got disturbing quickly. One memorable thing was Hannah, Jody's daughter, had this pair of pink tennis shoes that they kept on a shoe rack by the front door. She always wore these pink little tennis shoes, and one day, as the two were getting ready to leave, they went to the front shoe rack, and the shoes were gone. Jody looked all over the apartment, and when she walked into her bedroom, she found the shoes neatly placed in the middle of the bed. Jody asked Hannah, did you put these here? And Hannah said, no, mom, that wasn't me. And this happened again and again. Day after day, those shoes were always in the middle of that bed. And Jody noticed other items would be moved seemingly overnight. To add to the unsettling activity within the apartment, Jody began having these really bizarre, vivid dreams of people she didn't know. Specifically, one vision of a girl walking down a street in town. And as she's walking, she notices a couple in either a blue or gray car, and they ask the girl if she wants a ride. The entire thing felt really dark. Jody would wake up startled and didn't know who any of these people in the dream were. They didn't look familiar. And this was not a normal or typical dream for her. Most times we're the ones leading in our dreams, but for Jody, it was like she was seeing an event she had nothing to do with. A memory, but she had no idea what it meant or whose memory it was. Even more disturbing, Jody began hearing her daughter Hannah talking to someone from the other room. She would hear her daughter in full-blown conversations, and when Jody would ask her, who are you talking to? Hannah would point and say, that girl right there, mom telling Jody that there was a young woman that was in the apartment with them, standing right there. And she described her to a T, saying she had brunette hair, what she was wearing. She saw this woman so often, she started drawing pictures of her, but only Hannah could see her. And she called this woman a name. She called her My Liz. Jody would overhear Hannah talking to My Liz quite frequently. One evening after Jody and Hannah had returned to the apartment from dinner, they got back to a frightening scene. They found the receiver to the phone hung on the wall had been taken off and was found in a back bedroom. And in Hannah's room, all of her toys were in a pile on the floor. On top of the pile was a Sesame Street Ernie doll, a Muppet stuffed animal that Hannah liked. And Jody saw that tied around it was a shoestring. Jody then grabbed Hannah and ran out of the apartment and called 911. She made a police report, but said she didn't feel like they really believed what she was saying. One night in February, Jody woke up around 3 a.m. to the sound of loud static coming from the living room. She got up to find that the TV was on and white static was blaring, illuminating the entire room. Now, this was even more strange when you consider that Jody said this TV was a lot older. This all took place in 2000 and was one of the TVs you had to get up and turn on. And it wasn't Hannah. She was in her room asleep. And then Jody turned around to see her kitchen going haywire. 
cupboard slammed open and shut, the stove burner was turned on high, flames blazing, and then from the next room, she hears the Ernie doll starting to talk. The electronic toy seemed to come alive. Jody followed the haunting doll's chants into the other room, and it was saying, I feel great. I feel great. Over and over and over. Jody ran over and took the batteries out. She shoved the doll in the closet, but the doll continued to talk with no batteries inside it. Jody was terrified, and then all of a sudden, all the electronics, lights, appliances in the apartment started flickering on and off on their own. Jody takes Hannah and runs to the apartment manager's door, who was actually her neighbor, and frantically tells her there's something really wrong in her apartment. So this manager runs in with her dog, and this dog starts going nuts, barking, and the appliances, lights continue to flicker on and off. And a cord to a lamp even starts swinging on its own, and this sends them all running. The manager, Jody, and her daughter fled the apartment in terror. A few hours later, as Jody was sitting outside of the complex, crying, an older gentleman approached her. He had lived at the complex for over 20 years. He saw she was really upset and told her, you know, no one stays very long in that apartment. Jody knew this wasn't in her head. What she had been experiencing in that apartment was real. So to hear someone vocalize this was huge. Jody asked him why, and he said, well, there was a girl who lived in apartment 14. I can't remember her name, but she disappeared one day and has never been seen or heard from again. The case was a big disappearance in Chico. So this really spooked Jody. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. She didn't know her name. She didn't know anything about the case. But as the weeks passed, Jody continued to have more vivid, frightening dreams about this couple and this girl. In the dreams, they abducted her. Jody was full of anxiety and felt really overwhelmed. After three months, Jody packed up their things and the two moved out of apartment 14. In between the activity and the dreams, she hit her limit. She said she really feared for her daughter, and although she said three months doesn't seem like a long time, it felt like an eternity for her. They moved into another apartment in town and thought that was that. The haunting, the dreams, it was all over. It had to be. But not long after, a friend of Jody's was reading something and came across information about a woman's disappearance. The same woman who lived in apartment 14. Her name was Marliz Spanicky. Jody began reading about the woman's disappearance and was shocked. Along with the information was a photo of Marliz. And when Jody's daughter saw a picture of her, she instantly recognized her as the young woman she had befriended in the apartment. The invisible friend she had been talking to, the one she called My Liz. She said, that was the girl in the apartment with us. Jody realized the gentleman from the apartment complex was right. Apartment 14 had once been the home to 18-year-old Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. Everyone called her Marliz. Marliz was from Cleveland, Ohio, and had only been in Chico for about two months. She had moved there with her boyfriend, John. Marliz was beautiful. She had dreams of making it big as an actress, but according to her family, she wasn't so happy in Chico. 
She told her sister she wasn't enjoying it as much as she thought she would and was making plans to come back to Ohio in April and be with her family. But then she vanished. On January 31st, 1976, Chico PD received a missing persons report. Per the police report, her boyfriend John said the two had gone to the Chico Farmer's Market one afternoon and gotten into a disagreement there. And Marliz left the market alone, upset with her boyfriend, and started to walk home by herself. John said he last saw her walking down a street called Mangrove Avenue. And Marliz was never seen or heard from again. And after a while, her case went cold. And 24 years later, Jody moved into the apartment Marliz lived in. And I mean 24 years to an exact day. Marliz went missing on January 31st. And Jody and her daughter moved into that apartment on January 31st. That is, wow. Years after her case went cold, Chico police got a tip about a woman named Janice Hooker, who had come forward and said that she and her husband Cameron had abducted and murdered Marlez, and her remains are somewhere in the woods. Janice was interviewed and seemed upset when telling officials this, saying that she feared her husband Cameron. After granting her immunity if she talked, she later told investigators that on that day, January 31st, 1976, she and her husband Cameron saw Marliz walking down Mangrove Avenue. She said they offered her a ride and Marliz accepted and got into the car with a couple. Very similar, if not identical, to the dreams that Jody was having. And from there, they abducted and murdered her. I will spare you a lot of the details from this case because I honestly wish I hadn't heard them, but just know it is beyond evil what this monster did to her. Janice said they disposed of her body in a shallow grave off a dirt road near Lassen Park. While they were never charged with Marliz's murder, Cameron Hooker was later convicted of kidnapping another woman, Colleen Stan, in Red Bluff, California, one year after Marliz's disappearance. Colleen was another young woman who was hitchhiking through town to surprise a friend when Cameron and Janice abducted and held her captive for seven years. Until one day, Janice said that she was leaving Cameron and Colleen fled with her. When Janice confessed to all of this, her conscience was eating away at her and Colleen was interviewed and confirmed all of it. Janice even took police to the area where they could expect to find Marliz's remains. But this area is miles and miles of really dense woods. With all of this, they only had Janice's testimony Police didn't have a body or really any evidence, and ultimately, they didn't feel they had a case in regards to Marliz's disappearance and murder. Cameron was charged in Colleen's abduction, along with a string of other horrific charges, and during his sentencing, the judge said Cameron was the most dangerous psychopath he had ever dealt with, and he was sentenced to 104 years. But Marliz's case remained open, and her family continued to yearn for justice. Now, after Jody moved out of apartment 14, she said the year after, although she learned more about Marliz and her case, she said she felt at peace because they were out of the apartment, away from the haunting, and the dreams had stopped. But then, all of a sudden, the dreams started up again, and they were always of that couple. In these dreams, Jody said the couple, a man and a woman, seemed to be watching waiting, stalking someone. And Jody began dreaming of this certain number, 35.76. 
She had no idea what this meant, but believed this could be a certain mileage associated with the case. She would also see the letter A and a 17, and thought that this, again, had to be tied to Marliz's disappearance. She thought that the paranormal activity from apartment 14 was over, but it wasn't. In 2008, feeling the supernatural push to do so, Jody called the Red Bluff Police Department and told them that she had lived in Marliz's apartment in Chico, and she felt she had to relay some information that may have to do with the case and a potential gravesite of Marliz. And on the other end of the phone, this detective was stunned. He couldn't believe the timing of this call because he said they had just reopened all the files into Marliz's cold case. Just recently, the detective said he had never been so spooked by anything than by Jody's call at that moment. She didn't care if they believed her or not, she just felt she had to get this information out. Cold case units help ensure every unsolved case is reviewed using the latest and most effective investigative methods. New computer programs, new advancements in DNA. So Jody passed this information along, not sure what it meant, just feeling like she had to get this to police. This is an active investigation, so detectives really couldn't tell her much about the case at all. They just took her information, and that was it. And she really didn't know if it helped in any way. But recently, in 2021, detectives met with Jody, and it was confirmed that A17, the letter and number Jody was having dreams of, was confirmed to be a road close to where Marliz's grave site is believed to be. Very close. And the number 3576 is huge. Jody had dreams of this number over and over again. Detectives said that when they used mapping software and ran test after test, they believed the distance between the house Marliz was taken to and the grave site had a very specific mileage. Because as per Janice's testimony, she took police to where the location was, the general area. And this system came up with a certain number. 35.77. Whoa, I'm pretty blown away by that. Again, this is an active murder investigation, so Jody did not have access to any of this information up until the past couple years. For so long, she had no idea what any of this meant. But through the haunting, through her dreams, she feels she was given the clues by Marliz. Jody believes that her ghost is sending messages to her, trying to solve her murder from beyond the grave. To this day, Marliz's remains have not been found yet, and her case remains open. Police are optimistic and continue to conduct searches, but the area is vast, and with every passing year, the search becomes more difficult. If you have any information on Marliz's case, call the Chico Police Department at 530-897-4911. This is one of the most mind-blowing and sad cases because it seems that Marliz's ghost has been connecting with Jody for years. Her daughter instantly recognized her as the spirit being in the apartment with them. And it is so supernatural that Jody felt this urge to call detectives and report the dreams of those numbers, just as they had reopened Marliz's case. Even the detective was spooked by this. It's like Marliz's spirit knew this all along and aligned it this way. I just so hope and pray that Marliz and her family get the justice that they deserve and her soul rests in peace. 
The 70s was such a big time for hitchhiking or hitching rides, but never ever get in the car with someone you don't know or someone you just met. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how harmless they seem. You don't do it. Promise? Okay, good. In all of this, what transpired inside apartment 14, and even afterwards, makes me a lot more interested in the supernatural aspect of dreams. The significance of getting messages and seeing visions. I think a lot of times we just brush off dreams, because sometimes they can seem just like silly, random fragments of our day. But maybe they could mean something so much more. Maybe they could lead to something bigger, like solving a cold case and bringing closure and justice to someone who so deserves it. But what about you? Have you ever had a dream that you felt had a strong message behind it? I would love to hear about it. And if you're interested in learning more about this case, it was covered on Unsolved Mysteries. And I'm going to be really honest with you, it was a really difficult watch. The crimes discussed are horrific. So just a heads up, if you want more on this case, you can check out the newer season of Unsolved Mysteries. But it is a very, very dark episode. And I also hope to do this on Avery After Dark, but it's so important to me to normalize these types of stories where the supernatural realm can be used to help solve cases. It is a supernatural world that we live in. And maybe if people felt more accepted, more welcome to share their experiences, their dreams, we could get more cases solved. That would be incredible. This case really reminds me a lot of the Teresita Bassa case I covered a few weeks back on the podcast, and also the David Chase case I covered on the podcast back in January of 2023. So if you're interested in more stories like this, check out those episodes. They are mind-blowing just like this one. But I gotta know, what are your thoughts on this case? Leave them in the comments. This one has really stuck with me over the past few days. Some cases just affect you differently, hit you in the heart, and this was one of those for me. Our next story is the Haunted Limp Mansion. To fully understand the Haunted Limp Mansion, we first must get to know the Limp family. The Limp family was one that truly had it all, a dynasty of their very own. Riches, luxury, notoriety. For decades, the Limp family symbolized wealth and power with their beer empire. Over the years, the mansion was transformed from the stately home of millionaires that hosted the most lavish parties, to office space, to a decaying, run-down boarding house and finally restored to its current state as a fine dinner theater, restaurant, and bed and breakfast. That's right, you can actually stay the night at the Limp Mansion, if you're brave enough. Its hallways echoing the memories of years past and the tragic fall of the once ever so powerful Limp family. If family curses are a thing, the Limps certainly seemed like they fell victim to it. Their brand and brewery was once one of the most popular in the nation, but ended ultimately in loss and tragedy. Oh, and haunted tales. The Lent Mansion is a historical house in St. Louis, Missouri, just a short distance from the Mississippi River. And the place is said to be haunted by members of the Lent family. And this family's history is quite tragic. The family's patriarch was named Johan Lemp, but everyone called him Adam. He was born in Germany and became naturalized in 1841 and eventually settled in St. Louis. And over time, the Lemp family became a premier family in the St. Louis area. Aside from selling groceries, Lemp also sold homemade beer. 
The beer or lager was a light golden color and it was a hit in America. It became so popular that Adam then started focusing solely on manufacturing and selling beer, constructing a small brewery and working his way to the top. So why was this so popular? He was among the first persons in the United States to produce German lager. When Adam died, he was a millionaire and the brewery was taking off. His son William returned from the army to take over the family brewery and expand the company, and he did. Under his supervision, the brewery became the largest in the country. They were at the top. In 1868, the Limp Mansion was built just a short distance from the brewery, and William Limp purchased it for his family, utilizing as both a residence and an office. William and his wife Julia moved in there with their eight children, Anna, Billy, Louis, Charles, Frederick, Hilda, Edwin, and Elsa. These were back in the days when people had a lot of children. Now, while the mansion was already really impressive, Limp immediately began renovating and expanding the 33-room house into a Victorian showplace. And get this, from the brick mansion, a tunnel was actually built from the basement of the home through underground caves to the brewery. By the 1870s, the Limp family symbolized both wealth and power. As the Limp Brewery controlled the St. Louis beer market, a position it maintained until Prohibition. And as we all know, nothing lasts forever. In the midst of this success, it was around this time that the Limp family began to teeter. When his favorite son Frederick died of heart failure at 28 years old, William Sr.'s mental health really declined. From then on, William seemed to sink into the caves underneath the mansion. Eventually, he avoided the outside world entirely and walked to work and back home through the dark tunnels. In 1904, a month after his really close friend and fellow Milwaukee brewer Frederick Pabst, namesake of today's Pabst Blue Ribbon, died, William excused himself from the breakfast table at the Lent Mansion, returned to his bedroom, and shot himself, ending his emotional torment. And from here, things were just never the same it really started to take a turn. After his father's death, William Jr., AKA Billy, took over the business and became president of the William J. Lemp Brewing Company. And he attempted to continue running the business as best as he could. Keyword there being attempt. His vivacious society wife, Lillian, was called the Lavender Lady because of her fondness for the color. Now Lillian was described as a spoiled St. Louis debutante and she actually had a lavender horse-drawn carriage for every day of the week, along with an endless supply of custom-made lavender dresses to match. Together, the pair had no problem spending their fortune, and their house was filled with staff, clothing, and art. But they had a turbulent marriage, and eventually William supposedly began to grow sick of his wife. He demanded that she had to get out of the house every single day and go shopping, he would give her $1,000 a day and told her if she didn't spend it, she wouldn't get a penny more. So pretty much, let me pay you so I don't have to spend any time with you. Yikes. In the meantime, William was running the brewery during the daytime and enjoying decadent activities after hours, if you know what I mean. He was a really big drinker, not a big shocker owning a brewery, but he hosted really lavish parties at the mansion with other women. Lots and lots of women. 
and one of these he actually had a child with, one that he reportedly hid in the mansion attic for his whole life. And when refrigerators replaced the lager caves, he turned the caves into an underground swimming pool and private theater. And down there, they really went buck wild. It was all night drinking, partying, and all sorts of illicit activities. It was out of control. And finally, William and Lillian divorced. And their split was highly publicized in the St. Louis newspapers. In this trial, Billy's proclivities for guns, drinking, and women that weren't his wife were exposed and it was a media circus. The Lemp family's antics and dramatic personal lives became front page news. It was just a lot of drama and the brewery's fortunes were continually declining. By World War I, the brewery was just barely limping along. Then the prohibition came along and the brewery was severely affected. Profits dropped rapidly. William's youngest daughter, Elsa Limp, was a wealthy heiress in St. Louis, but she was so devastated over her rocky marriage and personal life that she too shot herself in the head while lying in bed in 1920. And when family got news of the tragedy, William Jr. was quoted saying, well, that's the Limp family for you. After prohibition, the family tried to scrape together alternate business plans, but out of the blue one day, Billy abruptly closed the building and auctioned off the brewery. The brewery's buildings were sold to the International Shoe Company for just under $600,000. This was truly just a fraction of its estimated worth of $7 million in the years before Prohibition. From $7 million to $600,000? Whoa. That's a really steep fall. At the end of the Limp's brewing dynasty, William Jr. slipped into a depression. Acting much like his father, he became increasingly nervous, paranoid, erratic, shying away from the public life and often complaining of bad health. His depression was fueled by so much. Just a quick rundown of everything that had happened. Firstly, his older brother, Frederick, dies. Frederick was the heir to the business and favorite of their fathers and his ticket to an easy life. Then William Sr. takes his own life. Then his mother dies soon after. Then he gains a habit for booze and women. He becomes a full-fledged alcoholic. His marriage breaks down. His sister, an ally in this life, was gone. And the beloved family brewery was gone as well, partly thanks to his mismanagement. A big part of it was due to the times, but there was a lot of guilt, a lot of shame to have a company that was at the top take such a deep plunge into the depths of failure. And on December 29th, 1922, history repeated itself. Inside the mansion, William walked into his office and shot himself in the heart. Charles Limp was the last Limp to ever live in the mansion. He lived there with the last two remaining staff members, and he was very reclusive as well. He had a severe form of OCD and a morbid fear of germs. And on May 10th, 1949, Charles took his own life, shooting himself in the head. Of all the limp children, Edwin lived the longest and he actually chose to live away from the family. And when he died, his final wish was for his caretaker to burn all the limp family papers and heirlooms. If that gives you any insight into where he was at with his family and their history. And the caretaker said, okay, setting fire to almost all of their belongings. And much of the Lent family history was lost forever in the fire. 
It seemed that he wanted all of the family's history to die right along with him. Now, after the death of Charles Limp, the mansion was sold and turned into a boarding house. And that's really when the creepy stories began. Residents complained of hearing ghostly knocks and phantom footsteps being heard throughout the house at all hours of the day and night. As these stories spread, no one really wanted to live there and tenants were hard to find and the boarding house continued to decline rapidly. Along with the nearby neighborhood, over the years, the Lemp Mansion began to decay. But in 1975, the old mansion was saved when a man named Dick Pointer and his family purchased it. And immediately, they began to renovate the building, wanting to turn it into a restaurant and inn. And not long after that, workers within the mansion would tell stories of seeing apparitions, hearing strange sounds, reports of vanishing tools, and that feeling of being watched. Many of these workers were so frightened by the activity in the home, many would leave the job site and never return. Since the restaurant opened, staff members frequently report strange occurrences. Again, they say they'll see apparitions appear and then quickly vanish, hearing voices, sounds coming from nowhere, and glasses will often lift off the bar, flying through the air all by themselves. On other occasions, doors inside the mansion are said to lock and unlock by themselves. Many workers have been locked inside rooms. Now that is a true nightmare. Lights will inexplicably turn on and off on their own, and the piano bar will often play when no one is near. Many believe this activity is from the ghosts of the Lemp family, who saw their tragic ends inside the mansion. And there are three areas in the old mansion that have the most activity. The stairway, the attic, and what the staff refers to as the gates of hell in the basement. Now, this is the area of the basement that was used as the entrance to the caves running below the mansion and the brewery. Those who have been down say it's a dark, palpable energy in that basement. Now, this is really eerie. In the downstairs women's bathroom which was once William Jr.'s personal domain and held the very first freestanding shower in St. Louis. Many women will go in to use the restroom and have reported seeing a man peeking over the stall. On one particular occasion, a woman emerged from the bathroom, returning to the bar, and looked at the two men that were there and said, well, I hope you got an eyeful. However, the two men quickly looked at each other in confusion and denied ever leaving the bar, let alone entering the women's restroom. And many believe this is the spirit of the womanizing William Jr. Listen, if that ever happened to me and I was in the restroom and I saw someone peeking over the stall at me, I would faint. I'd pass out right then and there. I mean, that would just be the spookiest. In William Limp Sr.'s room, guests have often reported hearing someone quickly running up the stairs and kicking at the door. Now, when William ended his life, William Jr. was known to have run up the stairs to his father's room, finding it locked, and he began to kick in the door to get to his father. Several years ago, a part-time tour guide reported hearing the sounds of horses outside the room where William Limp Sr. had kept his office. But... When the tour guide looked through the window, nothing was there. This area north of the mansion is now used as a parking lot, but back in the day was once utilized as a tethering lot for horses. 
So at the Lip Mansion, it's common to not only see and hear the ghosts of people, but apparently animals too. The mansion has been featured in a number of magazine articles and newspapers and has attracted ghost hunters from all around the world. Today, it features a bed and breakfast with rooms restored in period style, a restaurant featuring fine dining, and a mystery dinner theater. And tours of the mansion are also available. The story of the Lemp family and the haunted mansion is so fascinating because here you have a family that at one point had it all. They were a premier family. They had prestige, notoriety, power, and it all collapsed. And the Lemp mansion, originally designed to be this headquarters for prosperity and luxury, turned into a house of torment and despair. It's hard to believe that one home can hold so much tragedy. And to this day, the legend of the Lemp family curse and the mansion lives on. These kinds of stories are so perplexing because these types of families, with their power, money, dynasty, they seem untouchable. And the Lemp family, who was huge, had everything. They enjoyed their rise to fame and then suffered this major fall. And it seems that the Lemp family never left. They're still there. All these decades later, roaming the halls, tending to their unfinished business. I would personally love to spend a night at the Limp Mansion. How about you? Make sure you all let me know what places, cases, and stories you want to see next on Avery After Dark. Next episode, I got so much more mystery coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.